Michael, this is all very confusing. This is On Markets, presented by Darwin Asset Management and Darwin Wealth Management, the podcast where we decrypt and demystify economic, financial, and other investing concepts in 20 minutes or less. I'm Remy, and as expected, I have Mike and Tina with me today. So we ended our last episode with a question from a listener, and the question was, I often read that the majority of professional money managers fail to beat the S&P. Why would I pay an advisor when I could just buy an index fund and have a better chance of earning higher returns? So if you haven't listened to our previous episode, I would encourage you to do so. In that episode, we lay out everything you need to know about market indices and whether or not you should benchmark your portfolio performance against them. While the question above seems like something that we could have addressed in that episode, the answer really lies in a discussion surrounding active versus passive investing. So that's what we're going to talk about today. If you have any questions, comments, or just want to shout out on the show, email comments at onmarkets.com, or you can hit me up directly at remy at onmarkets.com. It's R-E-M-Y at onmarkets.com. If you like the show, don't forget to hit the follow button on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or whatever podcast platform you use. So, Tino, I'm more than certain you have a lot to say on this subject today. So for anyone who's in the Tino fan club, you guys are in luck. So why don't you start it off, define the difference between active versus passive investing. That is a very small fan club. Not according to our survey. You, you got number one twice, so. Yeah, well, considering the competition, I feel like the tallest midget right now. <laughs> the bar's low. <laughs> Thanks. The way I would define passive versus active investing is looking at the goals of, of both of these different types of investing strategies. When I think about active investing, the goal is to beat some benchmark whether that be an index like the S&P 500 or the Russell 2000, uh, or for that matter, some other active manager. Uh, But ultimately, active management is just that. The goal is to outperform some type of benchmark measure. Passive investing is very different. Passive investing says, I want to track something uh, as precise as possible to ensure that my what we call tracking error is really low. I don't want to invi- I don't want to s- steer too far away from what the index is doing. I literally want to copy it uh, when, in, in good markets and in, and in bad markets. If it's up 40%, I want to be up 40%. If it's down 30%, I want to be down 30%. Whereas again, going back to an active manager would not want to be down 30%. If their benchmark was down 30%, they'd want to be down 28% or 20% or ideally zero, but that rarely happens. So when I think about the difference between the two, like I said, an active manager is paid to outperform a benchmark. A passive manager is paid to keep that tracking error as low as possible. It doesn't seem very difficult. I mean, you just, you just, you just buy what's in the index, right? I haven't run a passive fund before, uh, but I know people that have, and, and uh, I would say it's definitely not brain surgery. Uh, but you know, there's some nuances. There's some, there's some skill in terms of trading and managing a portfolio of that size, no matter who you are. But look, these are commoditized offerings. They just are. I mean, and I, I don't think it takes a lot of skill to run, you know, a, a portfolio filled with bleach. Uh, I think about going when you go on TV and you see, you know, the, you, don't, you don't really see a lot of passive uh, index fund managers on TV. You see, you know, Bill Ackman and other hedge fund managers, the people that have perceived to have the greatest skill uh, are active managers. That's, there's no question about that. So it seems like there's been sort of a rise in passive investing over the last decade or so, as the listener question would indicate. So, you know, what do you think has contributed to that, Tino? Well, I'd say a big contributing factor of that is that uh, the market just 
has kept going up for so many years. And a, lot, a big part of that has been uh, the Federal Reserve. I mean, they've gone in and uh, for all intents and purposes, at times since the financial crisis, they've de-risked the market. They basically said, look, we're not going to let asset prices fall too much. And because of that, uh, a rising tide has lifted all ships and stocks just keep going up. And, and in an environment where things always go up, active strategies, generally speaking, are not going to beat passive strategies. It just doesn't work that way because uh, you know, you're making bets on, on good versus bad when everything is theoretically good. So I, I think that it's created a somewhat of a self-fulfilling prophecy because you've got these returns that have been so strong on the passive side. And look, good returns attract more dollars and more assets. And so you've got an inflow of more dollars and more assets going into these passive strategies simply because they've done so well. And there's a lot of rhetoric around this idea of why would you pay for an active manager? Why are you paying fees? Passive strategies cost now today a few basis points. They don't cost anything really. Uh, and it's, it's caused, I think, a lot of investors to lose sight of what they're really paying for in an actively managed strategy. So before we open this up for our, our typical weekly discussion, I think we need to define one more concept, uh, which is fee compression. Fee compression is what happens in a commoditized industry. It happens a lot. It can happen in consumer goods. It happens in financial services all the time. And go back three or four decades, a trade, trading a single stock could cost you a couple hundred bucks. Today, it's free. And that's what fee compression is. You take a commoditized industry product, and the fee over, over time drops to zero because everybody's selling the same bleach, as I mentioned earlier. So what we've seen in, uh, in asset management here is that because a lot of investors are frustrated with active management returns, they've moved to passive products. And as these, pa these passive products make money on scale. So the bigger they are, the better they do. And the, the, the ability that they have to lower their costs, and they do some other tools like uh, uh, payment for order flow and some other tactics to, to earn economics elsewhere. But they've been able to drive the price of their ETFs and their index funds down to virtually zero. And that's the fee compression we're seeing in this industry. So as a customer, if I'm seeing I can pay two or three or five basis points to track the S&P 500, or I could pay, I don't know, 70 basis points to try to beat it, uh, that, that's a compelling value proposition. You got to ask yourself, does this manager really think they're going to be able to return more than 70 basis points above the index to, uh, to get me to, to where I would be if I was just passively invested? So back to the original question, why would I pay an advisor when I could just buy an index fund and have a better chance of earning a higher return? Before you answer that, Tino, I think it was last, our last episode, it may have been two episodes ago, we were talking about uh, how, a survey and how many people said that they were active versus passive. And I don't remember what the number was, but the amount of people that said that they were passive and answered the survey as passive investors was fairly high. And I believe your exact response was, that's total garbage. You know, everybody's passive until they're not. That's correct. So I think that's a good way to kick, kick this off, kick this discussion off. So, you know, when, when that came up last week, I, I thought about a, uh, I had been at a, uh, a cocktail party a couple of years ago. And I'm, and I'm talking to this couple, just sort of making small talk. It was somebody I had never met before. And they were passing hors d'oeuvres and they were passing around these little sort of crackers with a little piece of filet mignon on it and some sort of sauce, right? And I ate one and these people ate one. And somehow the, the topic turns to, to diet and exercise. And, and she says that she's a vegetarian. And I went, didn't you just eat a thing with filet mignon? And she goes, well, yeah, but I'm a vegetarian most of the time. And I went, well, you know, okay. And what I wanted to say was, well, I'm a vegetarian too, and I'm not eating a hamburger. I mean, <laughs> but it reminded me of what you're talking about, right? People think they're, they're passive investors, 
but but they are until they're not, right? And I, and I have that conversation a lot with people that they talk about, you know, why don't I just stick my money in an S&P fund? And what I really want to say is, have you ever done it? Have you ever been able to do it and just sit there and let it grow and do what you're supposed to do to be a passive investor? And the answer is almost no one can actually do it. It's really difficult. It's funny that that comment was sort of an off-the-cuff remark by Tino, but to be honest, I thought about it after that episode too. It reminded me of, of Mike, your favorite uh, Mike Tyson quote, which is that everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. They get punched in the face, yeah. <laughs> no, but we, we run into that all the time here where you know, people have gone to cash because, you know, Tino, you've talked about this a million times, right? Things get weird, they can't take the pain, you know, the market's dropping, they go to cash. And I guess by definition that, that makes them an active investor, right? The idea is they're going to go to cash and then get back in after what they perceive as, as the bottom. But, but, but if you ask them, they'll say they're passive investors. So I know Tino has like a litmus test to really determine whether somebody truly is a passive investor. Why don't, why don't you tell us what that test is? Okay, to be clear though, there, this active versus passive debate is again, something that I find to be very uh, frustrating because they both have their place. So the reason why I created this test was to help guide investors to choose the best option for them because oftentimes passive is without question the right way to go. So my first the first question in my test is, do you need income? Okay, because if you do need income from your investments right now, it is mathematically impossible to build a portfolio of passively managed index funds that generates enough income, uh, particularly in this high inflation environment, enough income to pay bills and everything else you need from a portfolio uh, that, that is meant to generate income. So if you need income, you automatically disqualify. The second test is, do you have time, okay? Now, if you've got a couple decades, then I think passive investing is a very uh, interesting option. You know, I've got a uh, brother-in-law who's in his late 20s, he's got a great job, making good money now, and he asked me what he should do with it. And I told him it was very simple. Don't hire me or anybody else like me to manage your money. Put it into an S&P 500 index fund, maybe the NASDAQ and a couple other if you want to spread it out. Buy them, never sell them, never look at them, and wake up in four decades and you're going to be a very, very happy person. Okay, so if you've got a couple decades, that's great. If you don't, we need to start thinking about possibly looking at an active strategy simply because, you know, look, March 2020 taught us that markets can go down very quickly, okay? The S&P 500 was down, what, 30% in 22 days? Now, that doesn't happen often, but it can happen. And it's not a good thing to go into retirement with that type of risk looming over you. So a lot of times we need to rethink uh, active strategies uh, the closer you get to retirement or, for, for that matter, certainly in retirement. Now, my third test is the hardest because the first two, are, from a financial planning perspective, are very easy. You just quantify the numbers and you can pretty much figure that out on your own. The third test is really up to you, the investor. The question is, can you keep it together? Because no matter how much time you have, uh, whether it's long or short, if you're not able to maintain a strong stomach and stay disciplined to your passive strategy, then you've got problems because the second you sell, the second you can't take the pain any longer and you sell that passive index fund, you no longer are a passive, me, you're no longer a passive investor. You've just become an active investor and all that work you did, all those years you were passively invested get thrown out the window. So those are the three tests and I use them quite regularly with investors. So in your experience, this is a question for either one of you, how many people actually pass that litmus test? From my experience, I could probably count them on one hand. Look, go back to, uh, go back to COVID. 
and I know professional investors, I'm talking people that get paid a lot of money every year and have decades of experience, and they even panicked, okay? This is a very, very difficult thing to do. I'm not saying it's impossible, it's just difficult. And you don't really think, you don't really know if you can do it or not until you're stuck in the middle of a downturn like that. I mean, to be honest, based on your questions, anybody over the age of 40 probably doesn't qualify, you know, just based on the fact that they just don't have enough time. If, if, 20, if, if 20 or 30 years is, is sort of the minimum time frame that you need, then, you know, anybody over, over 40, maybe, maybe 50 really doesn't qualify. Experience has taught me that most people are not suited for full-on passive investing. But let's be clear again, that's not to say that passive investing is bad. It's not to say that it's too hard. It's just to say that it's not always appropriate. You know, the irony of the situation is I'm an active manager, okay? And I, my, my job is to manage money and I'm an, I, I do it actively. Uh, but I, you lo I love passive index funds. I love them. I, in fact, I would argue that the majority uh, of passive index fund owners are actually active managers. Want to know why? It could, because a lot of passive funds will allow me to go into an asset class, a region, or some type of a market that I don't necessarily think I've got an edge or enough experience to get too active in, but I do know that I want to have some exposure for maybe diversification reasons, whatever it might be. I can get that cheap beta exposure or that cheap exposure to that market or that asset class rather and do so in a way that's going to charge or cost my clients uh, very little money. So from a utilization perspective, passive index funds are great. We use them all the time here in our Darwin strategies. I've got passive index funds in my, my daughter's college accounts. So I guess what I'm trying to say here is that the products themselves aren't necessarily bad. It's just that they get used improperly. And that's the key. If you use them the right way, they're phenomenal tools for almost all investors to consider. So you guys know that I, I, I love philosophical debates. And Tino, I was reading some of the notes that you sent over before this recording. And one that sort of jumped out at me was uh, philosophically, there cannot be passive asset allocation since markets evolve over time and to never change creates more risk. Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, there is no passive asset allocation. Uh, I get a lot of head scratching when I say that. But what I'm, what I'm talking about there is that from a called a financial planning perspective, you can't sit there and tell me that your asset allocation at age 25 or 30 is going to look the same way it does when, it's in, in your, when you're in your 60s. For that matter, markets evolve over time. Interest rates fell for 40-something years, and now we'll see what happens going forward. All these different forces are changing. You're going to sit there and tell me you're going to attach yourself to an asset allocation, 20% here, 30% there, and, and then never, ever change it? To me, is, uh, it's, it's risky. I mean, I can't imagine how you're going to achieve your financial goals by never changing anything. So that's the reason why I think about passive, passive asset allocation doesn't make any sense. It's always active. It's always changing. Where you can truly get passive exposure is something like small cap stocks or the S&P 500. But that's about it. Well, not to mention the fact that e even if your personal situation doesn't change, as we discussed on the last episode, the index might change, right? I think, I think you said that um, in the last episode, 50% of the S&P has, has, has been turned over over the past 30 years. I, I mean, by definition, you know, what, what you purchased 30 years ago is not what you own today. Sounds like we're saying there's, there's, there's no such thing as passive management, really, if you really pick it apart. Let's put it this way. In my entire career... I can't think of a single time I've met an investor 
pension fund all the way down to individual mom and pop investor. Not a single one who bought an S&P 500 index fund on day one, whether that's their 25th birthday or when they got the pension fund started, whatever it might be, bought an index fund and held it and never did anything different for the next couple of years, decades, whatnot. Not one time because I just don't think they exist. Well, at least, you know, I know you hate talking about Warren Buffett, but he's probably the most famous idea of a passive investor out there, but he doesn't sit and do nothing. Yeah, Warren Buffett is absolutely not a passive investor. It's funny you bring that up because there's this confusion and there's this thinking that long-term investing and passive investing are the same thing, and they couldn't be different. So, you know, when I think about Warren Buffett and his style, he absolutely is a long-term holder, but think about the amount of work that he puts into his companies and his investments. There's nothing passive at all about what he does. So what's the bottom line? My bottom line, I have three points. First, this idea that passive is just outperforming all the time and active just can't keep up, uh, I, don't, I don't agree with. I think over the past decade, maybe since the financial crisis, yes, passive investing has been uh, doing better uh, in aggregate. But there have been extended time periods. I'm talking multi-year time periods prior to the financial crisis where we saw active management do do better. Okay, so both strategies have their place. The second point I want to bring up is that uh, to not not to forget why you're paying an active fee. Okay, again, it's not for everybody, but ask yourself why am I paying this fee? Is it to outperform markets in you know when everything's up? Well, okay, that's one thing, but. Uh, I think the real value of an active manager is outperforming when markets are down. And that's really what you want to do is you want to find a manager who in a down market uh, does less than whatever index that he or she is at attached to. Because that's really, in my opinion, like I said, I think where the fee comes into place. It reminds me, I grew up in uh, South Florida after Hurricane Andrew hit our, our neighborhood in the early 90s. And we were lucky. We were 30 minutes north of, of all that disaster. But uh, my neighbors, everybody in our neighborhood ran out the next day to get hurricane insurance. You know, they were, they were worried. They, 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 they got all these policies, but, you know, four, five, six years go by, no hurricanes, and they kind of scratch their head saying, wait, wait, wait a minute, why am, I, why am I paying the premiums anymore? And I feel a lot of that's going on right now with active managers who are moving to passive. They're asking themselves, why am I paying this fee when there is a legitimate reason to do that? My third point, know what you own. Uh, I've seen studies out there that the overwhelming majority of, uh, of passive investors, those that own index funds, have no idea that they are exposed to the downside of the market. That's a scary statistic because not only are, are their incentives not aligned or their expectations rather not met, uh, this can lead to things like selling into fear, selling into panic, and those are decisions that alter financial futures for sometimes many years. I feel like people fall into two camps, right? One, one is, is, Remy, what you said in the beginning. You know, why shouldn't I just buy a, an S&P fund and, and wait it out? And then the other camp is the market's too high and I just need to get out of the market altogether. I need to go to cash. I think people just want to oversimplify whatever the strategy is. And, and, and you've said it a million times, you know, like the answer to most of these questions is it, it depends. You know, I think what we're talking about here is that for most people, some combination of active and passive is probably the most appropriate thing. You can't paint everybody with the same brush, right? That, that's, that's why we exist as advisors. Yeah. So I think to directly answer that question, I'm going to refer back to uh, an episode we did. I believe it was titled, you know, why do you need a financial investor or some uh, financial advisor or something like that? And, and I think we, we briefly touched on it last week again. And, and I think the, the direct answer is that you're paying 
not just for the performance of your portfolio. You're paying an advisor to do a lot of other things to, you know, to help you with your financial plan, not just grow your money, to help you keep it together when the markets get nuts and you, know, you think the sky is falling and, and you want to sell everything and, and move to a deserted island. I just go back to this idea that the S&P 500 or any other index or index fund rather uh, is not suited to get anybody that I've ever met to their financial goals. You know, what, what I do on the asset management side, the, the stock picking and the asset allocation and all that stuff, uh, I get a lot of attention, uh, but I'm 20% of the equation. You know, the plan is everything. It's financial planning. It's being able to bring in what I do with insurance, uh, with other types of financial products and services uh, to make sure that uh, whatever the goals are the clients are looking for, that they get met. And I don't know of an, a single index fund out there that's even close to capable of providing that for a client. So before we head off, Tino, why don't you leave us with a little nugget of wisdom? Well, you guys know I love quotes. And uh, Blaise Pascal, a, a brilliant mathematician and philosopher uh, from a couple hundred years ago, is a great resource. He once said that all of human unhappiness can be explained by a single thing, not knowing how to remain at rest in a room. It's kind of funny because it's true. It's one of those things where... Again, as a passive investor, your job is going to have to be to stay at rest for a really, really long time. And psychologically, that's not always the easiest thing to do. This podcast is created and presented by Darwin Asset Management, LLC and Darwin Advisors, LLC, collectively referred to as Darwin. Darwin does not make any representation or warranties and therefore takes no responsibility as to the accuracy, timeliness, suitability, completeness, or relevance of any information contained in this podcast. Any tax or legal information contained in this podcast is general in nature. Always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific legal or tax situation. The information presented does not involve the rendering of personalized investment advice. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk, and there can be no assurance that any investment or strategy will be suitable or profitable for a client's portfolio. All investment strategies have the potential for profit and loss. Past performance may not be indicative of future results. Information presented is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation of any offer to buy or sell the securities mentioned herein.